Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So I really have the privilege this evening. I got to meet two amazing people this weekend, and I believe we've become friends. I've really enjoyed hanging out with you guys. They are fun. They are funny. They love Jesus so, so much. Um, they have a heart for the nations. They want to see this world changed for Jesus Christ. And um, Keith Tower is going to be giving us the word tonight. Uh, he is the senior pastor of High Point Church in Orlando, Florida. He holds a master's degree in counseling and has been a mental health counselor in private practice for 20 years. He has provided mental health seminars for churches and business leaders around the globe. Who was at yesterday's mental health for spiritual people? Wasn't that awesome? We all just felt so much better coming out of that, right? And the good news is Keith has written a book called Mental Health for Spiritual People. Unfortunately, we sold the last copy yesterday at the thing. But if uh, Pastor Simon has these cards with a QR code uh, so you can get the book online. So before you leave tonight, come and see Pastor Simon. He will give you the card so you can get the book. And um, and um, Keith is also a professor of apostolic leadership at the Every Nation Seminary, and I believe he is Simon's professor. <laughs> and your friend, yes, and Jennifer's. <laughs> so just in case you are wondering, Pastor Keith, would you just stand up for us and you can make your way up? Just in case you're wondering. Prior to pastoring and counseling, Keith played professional basketball for seven years. Uh, he was, played for the NBA's Orlando Magic, Los Angeles Clippers, and Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you can come get some if you want. I'm, here's what you need to know. I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm an old man, so I'm not very good, but I can still foul hard, so be careful. <laughs> Gosh, Rosebank, it is such a treat to be with you in person. Can, can, I, can I state the obvious? But, but sometimes when you're in an environment, you can overlook the obvious. But you are a blessed people. You are a loved people. And if you ever wonder if you're blessed or you ever are tempted to wonder if God loves you and God is for you, I want you to look at these men and women of God that sit right up here that God has put in your life to help lead you. Amen. Pastor Simon, his wife Lindy, Pastor Loreco, Pastor Greg, the entire team as we've gotten to know them. Uh, goodness, you are a blessed, blessed people. And I'm coming from the United States, but can I tell you, your reputation goes far beyond Josie. Amen. Far beyond. Amen. Far beyond. And I consider it a true honor to be here as I've been here in Joburg. And yesterday we got to tour uh, Soweto and I was given a pirate's jersey. Uh, <laughs> I learned this at, when I'm bringing you greetings from where I live in Florida, I'm actually bringing you greetings from the other Orlando, uh, not, not the first Orlando. And we don't have pirates in our Orlando, but we do have pirates of the Caribbean because of Disney uh, being based there. But, uh, anyway, let's go ahead and jump into God's Word. As, as Pastor Greg mentioned, I did play professional basketball for seven years. Um, I played with some, some people you may have heard of. I was a teammate with Michael Jordan. I don't, know if, I don't know if his fame has spread this far. I was a teammate for a man named Shaquille O'Neal. 
Anybody heard of Shaq? Now, just to give you perspective, I'm two meters 11, seven feet tall. Shaq is about this much taller than I am. He's about this much wider than I am. And his booty is that big. So when he like hits you, I'm telling you, he'll hurt a brother. He's a big man. So Shaq and I played the same position, which means Shaq played and I watched a lot of really good basketball from the front row. So I didn't play much, but I did play at the most important time in the game. When we were teammates with the Orlando Magic, there was a, a promotion that we had with McDonald's restaurant. They called it the Mac Attack. And if we scored 110 points and won the game, everybody in the arena, 20,000 people, got a free Big Mac. Wow. Big deal. Wow. Now, in those days, it was a little more physical NBA, it was a little bit more low scoring. So if you scored 110 points and won, it means you probably won by 30 points. Which, you know, when it would get to about 30-point lead, the coach would take Shaq out so he wouldn't get hurt. <laughs> and they'd put Tower in because who cares, right? <laughs> so I would check in at the, you know, with very little time left in games trying to get us to the Mac attack. And the announcer would come on every, every point. Once we hit 100, he would come on and go, 10 points for the Mac attack. And woo, everybody would scream and yell. Then we'd score another basket, 102 points. Eight points for the Mac attack. <clears throat> I checked into a game, we had 106 points. Four points for the Mac attack. But there just, honestly, there wasn't enough time. There was maybe like seven or eight seconds left. So there's no way we're gonna get, you know, uh, enough time, but we had the ball and we threw it in. Our guy went to the basket and he scored. 108 points, two points for the Mac attack. But there's really, normally at that point, the other team would just let the ball bounce out of bounds. There's only two or three seconds left. The game will be over. They lick their wounds and go home. But for whatever reason, the other team throws it in and their guy takes off up the court. Now for a guy who plays very little, the opportunity to get in the stat book with a rebound is overwhelming. So I decided I'm gonna run down the court just in case the guy launches a shot and I can get a rebound and I can get in the stat book. So with almost no time left, the guy comes down, throws up a shot, it bounces off, and with like under a second left, I get the rebound, and they fouled me. Which means, with under a second left, I am now gonna have two free throws with 20,000 Big Macs hanging in the balance. So I, I'm way down at the other end. I've gotta walk all the way down there, and I, I'm walking up the court, and it was the most surreal, just weird experience. I could hear this murmur going up through the crowd. And I'm trying to listen. And I'm like, I wonder what they're saying. And they're going, who is that? <laughs> so, so I get to about half court and they're like, Toner, Thompson, like trying to read my jersey. And then, then you can hear people going, Tower, Tower. Who's Tower? I don't know, but Tower, Tower. I get approaching the free throw line and the whole arena. Now you had to stay to get your ticket punched. So there's 20,000 people there in a really insignificant sporting moment, and they all start to chant my name. Tower, tower, tower. I start walking up to the free throw line. Now they're all standing. Tower, tower, tower. I'm stepping up. The referee hands me the ball. Tower. And it went deadly silent. Now you need to know this about me. 
I'm clutch, baby. Don't worry. Don't worry. Some of y'all are getting nervous now. It's okay. Goes through. 109 points. One point for the back attack. The place goes nuts. I mean, they're tower. One lady yells, tower, will you marry me? And I'm like, yo, like, raise your standards. It's a hamburger. Come on. I mean, it's not even Nando's, you know? Like, come on. The place is going crazy. I have 20,000 brand new people who love me. I'm the most popular guy in the city of Orlando. They're screaming my name. They just absolutely love me. All these brand new friends with one shot left. Tower, tower. They hand me the ball and... Now you need to know this. I have played in a state championship. I've played in our national collegiate tournament. I've played in the NBA playoffs. And I had never been more nervous for a meaningless athletic moment in my entire life. But I'm clutch. I missed, and I lost 20,000 friends like that. They're screaming at me, they're cursing me, cursing my wife, cursing my mom, cursing my dog. It was terrible, boom, I'm the worst player. I had no friends left. Oh, Rosebank, can I tell you, most of the things that keep you up at night most of the things that have you crying out to God, most of the things that you're like, oh God, I just need this. Oh God, if you love me, you would do this. Most of those things, can I be honest, even if you got them, are about as fleeting as those 20,000 friends. I want to share a message today called Bad Romance. And in it, we're going to look at the toxic relationship that we create with God if we're not careful. We're gonna look at two sentences. That if you will give yourself fully to these two sentences, let me tell you, not only will you end up with something that's not fleeting, you will end up with something, with something that gets of increasingly greater value every day you lean into it. The two sentences are found in Matthew chapter 22. We're gonna read verses 37 and 38 and then we're gonna talk about it. Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You know, turning just slightly, and pursuing something else, like along with God, but maybe slightly ahead of God, and it's just for a moment in time, but turning slightly and pursuing something either equal or slightly more than God, it doesn't make you a bad person, but it does make you a bad lover, and it does make for a bad romance. Now, this passage was spoken in the, on the final Tuesday of Jesus' life. There are two groups of people. One is called the Pharisees and the other is the Sadducees. And these were religious groups and they didn't like each other at all, but they hated Jesus more. 
So even though they didn't like each other and were constantly in competition with each other, they decided to set apart the differences between them, at least for a moment, so that they could try to discredit Jesus. And there's a series in Matthew chapter 22, a series of questions that these groups of people come and ask him. And the, the Pharisees go first. And they're super smart and they think, man, we're going to trip this guy up so that we can discredit him so we don't have to listen to him anymore. And they ask him a question, and I love it says a little bit earlier in Matthew 22, it says Jesus silenced them. That doesn't mean that Jesus went, shh, like you're in the library and got a whisper. It means that Jesus said something so profound in response to their arrogant question that they were speechless. They just went, And the Sadducees watched the Pharisees just strike out and went, ha, this is our opportunity, not only to trip up Jesus, but to look better than those other guys. So they stepped up, they did the same thing. They asked a question and Jesus left them in stunned silence. So the Pharisees regrouped and they got their smartest guy. He's called a teacher of the law, a scholar of the law. And they brought him, they said, go ask him that one question that none of us can answer. Ask him, stump him with that. And he walks up to Jesus in front of everybody, trying to discredit him, and says, teacher, what is the greatest law, in, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And to that question, Jesus gave this answer. And essentially what he said to him is, here's the greatest command, you better be careful about what you love. You better be really mindful about what captures your soul. You gotta watch what overcomes your thinking and what you just give your mind to. You gotta be careful. Now this is a brilliant answer on so many levels. Not the least of which is that this passage came from a an Old Testament text found in Deuteronomy chapter six. This is actually verse four, Deuteronomy six, four. It's a, it's a passage of scripture called the Shema. And a faithful Jew, which the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, a faithful Jew recited this out loud twice a day. So these are full grown adults for their entire life twice a day. So literally, Tens of thousands of times they said, and earlier that day, they said those words out of their mouth while they're actively giving much more affection to their religious dogma. Giving much more devotion to their political position and viewpoint. Giving much more devotion to their sense of privilege and keeping their own power. So Jesus looks at them <laughs> and answers them with the very words that they had been reciting themselves. And the answer that Jesus gave the lawyer that day, I think presents to us an interesting question for us today and for every day. And it's this, what do you love more than anything else? What do you love more than anything else? If, if you're not sure, flip the question around and ask it of yourself this way. What would break your heart the most 
if it was lost. That's how you know what you love the most. If you no longer had access to what? That what, would, what would weigh on you the most? That's actually what you love the most. And Jesus said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love. This is an interesting word. It's a verb form of a very specific type of love called agape. It's the type of love that we see in John 3.16. For God so loved, for God so agaped the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is an extraordinary love. It is a love that counts the object of the love of the utmost importance. It is a love that is not bound by convenience. It's a sacrificial love type of love. It's a love that even if you don't feel like loving, you give it anyway because the the object of it is your absolute highest priority. Anybody glad that God loves us that way? Anybody provoked that God calls us to love him back with that same love? See, Jesus in this sentence isn't just saying about how much he loves us. No, I love that. Super cool. Like I love, Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible told me so. I love that, you know, when he wakes up in the morning, I'm, a, I'm on his mind. I like that when he hung on the cross, he was thinking about me and only me. Maybe that's America, but that's what we think. I love that he's devoted. I love that he laid down his life. I love that there was no barrier he wouldn't remove so that I could experience the love that he wanted to give me. I love that. I love it. But you know what's challenging is that he actually calls that of me. Now, this is a love that's not found in the Old Testament. That that word doesn't exist in the Old Testament. It's actually not a word that exists outside of the Christian scriptures. It is found exclusively. Now, we know in the Old Testament God loved us, but the fulfillment, the actual action of loving beyond convenience, of loving without conditions, the action of it showed up when Jesus showed up. And think about this. God, through Christ, God pays you. I love that. God, through Christ, calls me to God pay him. And you know what a bad romance is? It's when one of the two people in the relationship loves much more than the other. A bad romance is when love is given and is not reciprocated in an equal manner. Oh, and by the way, a bad romance becomes a toxic relationship when the recipient of the more love uses the fact that one loves them to their own personal advantage. Please don't be the source of a toxic relationship with God. Please don't. Shall love shall agape with all your heart and with all your soul. What does that mean? Your soul is like the seat of your will. Like, what do you want to see happen more than anything else? 
Like, what just consumes you so that as it's happening, you almost are trying to will it to happen? My wife has a superpower. She has a superpower. It's true. She legitimately has a superpower. She has the ability, when we sit in Orlando and watch on TV our favorite athletic team that's playing a game thousands of kilometers away, she has the ability to directly affect the outcome of that game. It's true. It's true. If she is wearing her lucky socks, it will directly affect the outcome of the game. Now, if, if for some reason the luck has drained out of those socks, if she's sitting in one spot and we're watching her favorite team and they're winning, she will not move because they're doing well because where she is seated. It doesn't matter how bad she has to go to the bathroom, doesn't matter how long the game is, she will not move because her movement will affect that game thousands of kilometers away, it's crazy. And here's what else happens. If she's sitting there and her team isn't doing good, she can change the course of that game by getting up and moving. So she'll be in the other room and I'll be like, oh babe, you gotta come back in, they're winning. And she's like, no, they're winning because I'm not watching. It's crazy. That, that's kind of silly, isn't it? I mean, we know that the outcome is affected by my socks, not hers, right? It's my lucky socks. I had the, the privilege of watching a Springboks game. And by the way, I know you're going, will he get us home in time for the game? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But I had Pastor Simon and Pastor Lareko were uh, in, when they were in the US in Orlando, the other Orlando, when they were in the other Orlando with me, we were watching the Springboks game on TV. And I don't know much about rugby, but I'm sitting with Pastor Lareko, who professes to be a rugby expert. And can I tell you, sitting next to him, watching the rugby game was, I wouldn't say more, he's not listening, is he? Okay, it was more entertaining than the actual game. Because as the game's happening, he's like, he's, he's, mm, 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 ah, during the scrum, and he's just like, mm, 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 sitting in the chair. And I'm like, dude, like, are you having a convulsion? Are you okay? But he's just moving. And then the guy's running, and he's just like, he's, he's, running, he's willing to score. Love God like that. Just, just, just love him like that. Be so consumed with the move of God that it moves you. When you see this worship team up here singing and it just, whoo, it just happens. Love God like that where you would will him to reach your neighbor. You would will him to drop a miracle in the middle of your connect group. Just that it consumes you. Love God like that. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What does that mean? Think about God. Contemplate God. Understand God. I'm out of breath. <laughs> I feel like Loretto when he was watching that game. Yeah. And he gets very angry. He does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure they won that one or he would have hulked out and broke stuff. <laughs> Reflect on God, understand God. What are you dreaming about? What has captured your thought life? What do you most ponder? 
You could most ponder and contemplate good things, but first and foremost, they, we need to ponder the nature of God and God things. Our oldest daughter was a, uh, when she was 14, 15, 16, was one of the top 100 volleyball players in the United States. And yeah, she's built like me and she looks like her. Thank God for beautiful wives. <laughs> My worst fear is that she'd be, you know, like two meters six and look like me, but she doesn't. She's big and she's strong. She's a powerful young lady. So she was 16 years old, was one of the top 100 volleyball players, was being recruited by every university in America to come play for them. And in one tournament, in one move, she tore the anterior cruciate ligament in her right knee. She just collapsed. And it was a long, arduous process, nine months of recovery. And many of the teams that were so interested in her told her she was their favorite player that ever lived. All of a sudden, when she got hurt and may not have the same level of value, went, ah, uh, yeah, so about that, and walked over to other courts and watched other players. So she finally got her strength back and was finally starting to get able to play. And her dream school got interested. It was a little bit maybe lower level than what she thought she was gonna play at. But it was the perfect place. God's sovereignty is good, isn't it? Yeah. So now she's, she went up, she visited the school, she met with the coach, they said, oh, we love you. We just, we, we just need to see just a little more. But we wanna sign you, but, and we wanna bring you in, but just, we're just gonna wait just a little bit longer. And those were the longest couple of months of probably our parenthood. Because we would sit at these tournaments and we saw the coach watching her and we would be like, I wonder what she's thinking. Oh, she's writing something down. Do you think it's good or do you think it's bad? And we'd be like, what if? What if that school invites Carly? And it's an Ivy League institution. It's renowned around the world. And we're like, what if they bring her in and she gets to go there for free? Yay! And wouldn't that be amazing? And oh my goodness, she could be president someday if she gets into that school. But what if she doesn't? What if it doesn't happen? And what if they don't decide to have her? She might be living under a bridge someday. That would be so bad. But what if she does? Like, surely God's involved in her life. And we're just, it is consuming. Love God like that. Where all you do is think about, what if he did? What if he moves? What if he shows up? What if he visits? What if he heals? What if he does? Love him with all your mind. Let the things of God consume you. The scripture says that this command is the greatest. If we could actually go back to the Matthew verse, that would be my preferred. Thank you. This is the great, and this is the first commandment. It's the first commandment, and it's the great commandment, and here's why. God agapes you. Like I just explained, with all his heart, soul, mind, strength, he extends that love to you. And all he asks back is the same love and devotion that he's extending. And that's called a healthy relationship. 
if we choose to be the recipient of that, but give our agape to something else, we have created an uneven relationship with God. We've created with God a bad romance where he loves us more than we're willing to give back. But watch this because it gets worse. If you love something more than God, the only two things in all of creation that can actually give agape is God and humanity. Nothing else can give it. But if you love something else, even if it's really, 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 really good, if you love it more than God, then God is not the recipient of your agape. Something else is. And by loving him first, it actually helps prioritize everything else in my life. It doesn't just mean he's first. It means everything else is no better than second. So watch this. If I choose to put something else higher than second, I give to it agape. I give to it what it is incapable of giving back to me. Because even if you get a great job, let me tell you, the minute you don't produce, you're gone. It doesn't agape you. It doesn't. Nothing but God himself and humanity can give agape love. So if you give that to something else, it is actually incapable of reciprocating the very thing it demands of you, it will not return to you, which means the thing that you love the most, you now have a funky bad romance with. Oh, I love it the most, but now my relationship with it is jacked up because it cannot give to me in fact, it demands of me that which it will never return to me. And can I tell you, it'll probably use the fact that I love it more than it loves me to its advantage, which means I have a toxic relationship with the very thing I think I love more than God, and I turn to God and I have a toxic relationship with him because it's one way from him, and now this thing is one way. Y'all tracking with me? That's not good. It's not good. So the very thing I want to receive devotion from is incapable of giving it the magnitude of devotion I give to it. So this relationship smells, and now God, who desires full devotion from me, but I already gave it to something else, and I give him second, pretty good, but still leftovers. Now this relationship smells. Oh my. This verse, when it says it's the greatest command, it's not God being demanding. You have to love me as much as I love you. It's not. It's great. It's great. Because by virtue of me having him first, he and I are in an appropriate, loving relationship where he gives to me and I give back to him and this relationship is right and is appropriate and now every other thing I can actually relate well with because now my job falls in the proper place and I can give to it what it can give back to me and my spouse though I love her more than any other person on this planet I can give to her what she as a human being can 
give back to me. But I don't want her to give what she's supposed to give to God because that'll make ours messed up. So now, look how great this is. God can put you in a proper, loving romance with the things of the world that are important to us just by having him more important than them. Isn't that great? It's a pretty great command, in my humble opinion. All right. There's nothing wrong with pursuing things. There's not. Just don't pursue them as first and greatest with your adoration and your devotion. When the first and the greatest get out of order, we create toxic relationships with God and with the object of our highest affection. Okay, so how do we keep? How do we keep a good thing from becoming the only thing? How do we avoid a toxic relationship from developing with the things of the world? How do we protect against an unhealthy devotion to things that draw us away from God? How do we avoid a bad romance? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, to the Shema. This is the passage of Scripture that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have repeated twice a day, the totality of this, of which Jesus took a piece and body slammed them. In Deuteronomy 6, the Shema is found in verse 4 through verse 13, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat, and when you are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. How do we keep God in his proper place, and how do we keep stuff in its proper place? Well, this passage tells us a lot, but we'll break it into two things. Verses four through nine essentially says to keep his word in front of you all the time. All the time. Pastor Keith, when is the best time to read my Bible? In the morning or night? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pastor Keith, have you seen the traffic in Josie? I mean, like, great. Put it on audio. Listen to it. If you're, it takes you 30 minutes to get somewhere, yeah. praise God. You got the word for 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, Pastor Keith, that would be great, but I'm handling kids and, you know, and how am I supposed to juggle them and get God's word in? Just get it in front of you all the time. It's summertime. If you go to the swimming pool, Toss him into the pool. Jonah, woo! 
when my kids and I, man, we'd break out a big pillow fight and we'd start crashing and a pillow fight was never a pillow fight. It was, I'm Goliath and you're David and they'd throw a pillow at me and down goes the giant. You might be going, well, that's easy for you. I mean, you're, you're an actual giant. <laughs> I'm not that tall. Great, be Zacchaeus, climb up a tree with your kids. I don't really care. I mean, <laughs> all the time, all the time, all the time. Read your word, listen to your word, look at your word, play a podcast, speak of the goodness of God around your kids all the time. And then he tells us in verses 10 through 13, particularly in verse 12, to take care. Don't forget God. Don't forget God. When God blesses, my friends, you heard it hopefully at first service. If you didn't listen to the podcast with Pastor Jim LaFoon, God's moving. And when God blesses, and when God moves, and when God delivers what you never imagined that he could, that is the moment of danger. Because he finally gave you the thing you thought you needed to be satisfied. And it is so easy to cry out for something right here and once you receive it, to just slide it up a little bit. My friends, this is not meant to be condemning because this was written, eh, eh, give or take, a few thousand years before Jesus. <laughs> so this is, this is endemic to humanity. Every person, when God blesses, will face the very real sometimes overt, sometimes extremely subtle, temptation to reach for what's in his hand and let go of his heart. Be careful. You're normal. You're human. And he's warning this Old Testament people to be careful. But can I tell you, you have something that they didn't have. They had willpower. You have God's power because they had God loving them, but you have access to agape to love him. They didn't have it. It didn't exist till Christ that humanity now had the capacity to actually fulfill this. You and I live in an amazing age. <laughs> we have God's spirit. We have God's written word. And we are recipients of the cape. And all God says is the absolute best for your life. To not chase fleeting things. To not lavish the 20,000 and how, to not find your world go, they love me, they hate me. To avoid that and to have stability, you have access to everything you need. All you gotta do is love God the way he loves you and that will appropriate how you properly love everything else. So when you walk out of here, to take on the weak and to take on the world. Here's all I'm asking you to do. Just don't forget the one who is to always be first and to always be greatest. Just when you walk out of here, just for the rest of your life, just agape with him. 
agape with him and relate properly to everything else. And you don't have to worry about a bad romance. Jesus, thank you for your sons and daughters. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you for this great church. I thank you for who they are as a people. I thank you it's evident in worship that they love you. But help us. Because God, it's tricky when good stuff starts happening. It's one thing to have you consume us when we're desperate. It's another thing when we've got plenty. I thank you for your agape love found only in Christ. Given toward us, with us is the highest end of your devotion. And we just simply say to you tonight, God, that you are the highest object of our devotion. We adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Keith. Thank you for your word. I also want to thank you for doing a whole sermon on bad romance and not mentioning Lady Gaga. <laughs> thank you. Church, we're going to bring our ministry team up in a moment. Um, if you realize you've been in a bad romance, with either with God or with something else or both, we want to pray with you. Um, I'd like to encourage you to act on it now. Hmm? Pastor Jim LaFoon said something earlier which was the worst thing in the world is to be in the midst of what God is doing, but miss it. This is a chance. If you're feeling like you might be missing what he's doing, let's come get your relationships in order. We want to pray for you. But I want to, if I can ask you all to stand your feet, please. Just a reminder to our first-time guests, please, as you exit the foyer to the left, join us. Everyone else, hang around, get some chips hang out. Let's have some fun. Um, I'm going to read the benediction over you. If you'll lift up your hands to receive it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now with the blessing you've received, go out and bless others. We'll see you all next week.